kind of have a very special um, lesson for us. I like to encourage. I like to uplift. Uplift. I love to talk about how we are able to do exceeding abundantly far beyond that which we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us. But every once, every once in a while, I get a a uh, a feeling this pastoral, fatherly um, feeling that I I need to instruct us. I would say warning would be too strong of language. I don't think this is necessarily a warning. I think it's just instruction to help us to understand the value of walking in God's will. And so tonight I'm going to talk to you about God's plan B. I believe God always has a plan A for our life. I believe he's got a perfect will that from our birth, every one of us, God saw us through time and said, if this person will serve me and follow after me, this is the plan that I have for this person. This is this is this person's charted course. Now, I will also say that I don't think that I've walked in God's perfect will my whole life. So let me just get that out there. We have all had challenges. We have all made decisions. We've all probably veered off the perfect path for us. Our hope is that that path uh, that we haven't veered off too many times and that we haven't um, had too many catastrophic decisions that has led us too far out of God's will. But I do believe that he has a perfect will. I do believe he has an original plan for all of us and that we all should desire to want to be in that perfect plan, that we would do what God called you and intended you to do what he intended you to be, what he intended you to do to affect his kingdom and your part in that kingdom. Look at your neighbor say, it's not about you. Now, I know that God will bless us, and I'm so thankful. I get overwhelmed sometimes when I look at the blessing of God in my life and in my family. I just am overwhelmed at times how God has blessed me. But make no mistake about it, he doesn't exist to make sure I'm blessed. He does not exist. His church does not exist to make sure I'm blessed. Uh, ministry does not exist to make sure you're blessed, to make sure I'm blessed. We receive blessings in that journey, but that journey is all about making sure he's blessed. And that we are a blessing to him. That's what worship is all about. Is, is about pleasing God. And, and in that, when we're in the will of God, many times as we're being a blessing to him, we will feel blessed and, and be blessed. Um, how many of you believe that you are powerful enough, that you are big and bad enough to delay or stop the will of God. Anybody? Anybody bold enough to believe that they can stop the will of God? Turn with me to Judges 21. And we will start at verse 24. Um, to answer your question, in case you're wondering, uh, we all stop the will of God all the time. God is not willing that any should perish. So his will is that nobody is lost. Is everybody going to be saved? And so, how many times have I stopped the will of God in my life? Wait a minute, I thought we all agreed predominantly agreed that we weren't big enough to stop the will of God. I've stopped it more times than I can count in my life. I've stopped the will of God in other people's life because I wasn't right with God. I have missed opportunities to witness to somebody because 
I wasn't in a ready condition to serve or to help. If you have ever in your life, like I have, had a time where there was a season that you knew God, but you got away from God, that was a window of time that maybe somebody came into my life and was an opportunity for me to let that light shine, but I didn't have salt and I didn't have light to share. Well, God will just send somebody else into their path. Really? What if that person was also not ready? Well, God would send somebody else. And we can keep going down that road because I here's the danger. Here's the, here's the, the warning that I issue tonight. I think sometimes we walk in this mindset that if I'm a Christian, whatever that is defined as, that God's will is just going to happen. It'll all be all right. It'll be okay. God's will will happen in my life or in the life of somebody else's. As though we have this almost this real case, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be attitude. Not discerning that walking in His will matters. And I can totally step outside of the will of God in my life and totally change my destiny and the destiny of others. What if, God forbid, I were to decide to do my own thing as a pastor, betray my wife, do you think that would affect her? It's my choice. Would it affect my kids? Would it possibly shake them in their walk with God? Would it hurt the church? If pastor can't even serve God, how is there any hope for me? I've seen churches hurt by a pastor that struggled and fell into sin. I've seen that wreck congregations. How does that happen? Because it matters. You don't sin alone. You can't just take the attitude that, well, it's, it's just my life. It just affects me. Yeah, ask Aiken's wife. For those of you that aren't familiar with the story in the Old Testament, Israel is told to wipe out an area, and they, they were told not to take anything. And so Achan saw some Babylonian garments and some jewelry and some, some wealth and some things. And so he, he, he did what typically you did in battle, even though God told him not to, but typically you would take the spoils of war. You would take the things, the food, the crops, the cattle. You would take those things and fortify yourself with it. And so Achan decided, even though God said no, Achan said yes. Was it God's will? Did Achan have that? No, it was God's will that they didn't do anything with those items. Were, were being very, they were given very careful instruction not to. So God's will was don't take their stuff. Achan took the stuff. He was big and bad enough to undo God's will. Took the things, hide them in their tent. Then they go to fight the next battle against this little town called Ai. They go to battle, 36 men. Somebody's son died in battle that day. Somebody's father didn't come home. Somebody's family lost a dad. An uncle, a neighbor didn't come home from battle. 36 of them died in battle over this little skirmish that, that they weren't even worried about taking. They just said, go send part of our troops there. This Just pack a lunch. We'll just, we'll just go take, this, take care of this in, uh, by morning, and, and, and we'll just call it a day. That's what their attitude was about this little place called Ai. And yet they sent... Israel running out of there, and they lost 36 men that day. 
begin to inquire of the Lord what happened, and the Lord began to tell them somebody took something. It's a tragic story because according to the law, they didn't just take care of Achan. Achan's sin cost his wife, his kids, his dog, his goldfish. Everybody got taken out because of his sin. It matters to stay in the will of God. You can't expect the blessings of God and live outside of the umbrella of the protection and the obedience of the Word of God. This week, as I was reading my Bible in the morning, I came across this passage. It's interesting. It's at the very end, the very last passage in the book called Judges. We don't like that word. We're in a, we're in a country right now that we just don't want people to judge me. Don't judge me. I ought to be able to do anything I want, anytime I want. Don't judge me. Here's what happens at the end of Judges when a very difficult thing happened. It was, it was, it was, I won't even read the story. It is such a horrific story about how uh, a few individuals were treated by the tribe of Benjamin when they came into this particular town and this guy came in with his servant and this, these, 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 the, uh, this, this lady that was with him and, and how these men started knocking on the door and, and just, I won't even get into how horrible this scene played out. But all of Israel turned against the tribe of Benjamin. And, and in fact, it wasn't God's will that these small kingdoms within these 12 tribes, that they would all separate. It was God's will that Israel would be one nation. It was God's will that they would never have a king, that he would be their king. That was God's will. But they wanted a king. He even warned them, you're going to get a king, but here's what's going to happen to your people. Here's what's going to happen to your wealth. Here's what's going to happen to your children. Here's what's going to happen to your cattle. Here's what's going to happen eventually if you have a king. And so we see again where God's will doesn't always happen because of our choices. This passage here in Judges 21, starting in verse 24, And the children of Israel departed thence at that time, every man to his tribe and to his family, and they went out from thence every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did which was right in his own eyes. What a horrible, slippery slope that is. I could go around this room right now and get a common sense of decency. But all I'd have to do is flip the script one little bit about causing something else to happen in your life. And you would change from that thing that you think is wrong or right. And I could get you under the right circumstance to totally change that argument. Is this certain thing right? Is this certain thing wrong? Yeah, this is wrong. Well, what if this happened to you? What if somebody did this to you? Well, now you're, now it would be okay. And we start to justify things. We justify bitterness if the offense is bad enough, if it happens enough times. We justify our actions based on because of how somebody else treated us or mistreated us. So this is okay to do this. And we begin to do what is right in our own eyes instead of having a compass that we can stand on, the Word of God, that this is right, this is true, this is always right, this is always true. My circumstances cannot change or dictate right from wrong. I have to put my, my heart and soul and my life in the hands of this Word that stays static and consistent and not just do what is right 
in my own eyes. The whole anti-police movement that's going on right now isn't about the police. It's about rules. It's about doing the right thing. It's about I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want anybody. I don't want a teacher. I don't want a principal. I don't want to, I don't want a judge. I don't want a police officer. I don't want anybody telling me what's right and wrong. John 14, 15 says this. If you love, this is just a, such a simple principle. Just simply says this. If you love me, keep my commandments. I think I could make a case <clears throat> that if you don't keep his commandments, you probably don't love him. If we love him, I mean, I'm not just talking about loving him enough just to make it to church occasionally. Call yourself a Christian, go to church. But to keep his word. For those of you that may think, oh, it's easy for you, you're a pastor. It's easy for you, you've been serving God a long time. It's easy for you, you were raised in the church. Is there anybody that would confess with me, it's not easy following the word of God? It'll test your metal. It'll, it'll test you. You will grit your teeth sometimes to follow Scripture. It's not just so easy and just so pleasant. There are some tough sayings in the Bible. But if you love Him, you're going to do it. If you love him, these things that he commands, <clears throat> you're going to do it. You're going to follow it. And you're going to trust that he knows ultimately what is right and what is best. You see, it's after doing some of that stuff that the blessing later on begins to show up. In anything that you're doing that is a commitment takes a little time for you to see the fruit of it. Anybody, anybody here ever plant a garden? Yeah, that, that, that fruit doesn't come popping out as soon as you stick the seed in the ground. And neither does the blessings and all these things. This things these things come after we keep His commandments and we continue to walk at, and we continue to follow Him and do it just because it's the right thing to do. We don't even do it so that we can get blessed. We just do it because it's right. Because you know what? You're not always blessed right when you do it. You sometimes just have to do it because he's worthy of it. And if the blessing shows up or if it doesn't, I'm not doing it for that reason. But I love him, therefore I keep his commandments. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Again, out of the King James, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now this begins to give us a snapshot of what end times looks like. I think it looks like the nightly news, quite frankly. I think it looks like where we're living right now, which would be an indication that we're closer than we think. Boom, it could happen right now. Perilous times shall come. You tell me if this sounds like where we are. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. We even had a song sung at the Grammys, I think, last Grammys, whenever that was, a, a guy in a devil suit sang a song called Unholy, a very pro, um, I think he was gay, but the person that sang with him was the first openly transgendered person that sang with him. And there's demons and things dancing all over the stage and cages and flames and all. It was it was wonderful entertainment. The song was unholy and it was very highly celebrated. Introduced by Madonna. They had her introduce the song. For all you rebels out there, 
we celebrate. It used to be concealed. Now we celebrate these things unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. I used to always think that was people that denied the supernatural. I don't think that's all that referring that that's referring to. Having a formerly god form of godliness, say a denomination that that loves to go to church, but they don't believe in the signs, wonders, and miracles. That's how I used to view that. But but I don't really see that that it stops there. But having a a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, I think is more about the transformation power of the gospel, the transformation power of the word of God. In other words, there should be enough power to change you. You ought to be better this year than you were last year. You ought to have more power this year than last year. You ought to be a better Christian a better parent, a better father, a better a better child, a better wife, a better husband. You should be better. There should be power enough that this gospel absolutely speaks into my soul and makes me a different person than I would be without him. The power of the gospel I'm interested to just come to church and seeing signs, wonders, and miracles and going home being the same sack of dirt that I was when I came. Treat my wife poorly. Treat my kids poorly. Be poor in business and cheat the company by showing up late and leaving early and going off and hiding during break time. Taking too long of breaks. I don't want to steal from the company. I want, I, want the, I want this word to get in my soul and to change me. I want it to govern how I am in my friendships and relationships. I want it to govern me and how I handle my money and how I handle my time, how I handle my thoughts, how I handle my language, how I handle my conversations. Having a form of godliness, church membership and denying the power of the gospel to change me. From such people like that, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of truth. This is not an assault on women here. It's saying that there were some silly women back then that were easily led astray. But understand this, they were led astray by men who were preaching false doctrine. So everybody gets hammered in that passage. The ones that are silly and and willing to be led away with this goofy preaching and the goofy preachers, the men that were preaching things that were not sound in their doctrine. Never learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. There should come a time in your life as you grow and mature that you have settled some things. Not everything is up for debate. There is some sound doctrine that we should all agree on. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's a a very cool transition that happens here. Your payment for sin is death. Now, we know that that's a spiritual death, but, but I could make a case that there's an application there. That your sinful behavior can kill your finances. It can kill some friendships. It can kill your marriage. It can kill your trust. 
That's your payment. That's what you that's what you worked for. You worked real hard for that. It's like the teacher I was fussing at for giving me an F one time. She said, oh, I didn't give you an F. I was like, well, it's right here. She said, no, no, I didn't give that to you. You earned it. You see, the wages of me not studying, the wages of me playing cowboys and Indians or whatever whatever I was playing at the, at the time, whatever I was too busy doing that I wasn't getting my schoolwork, there was wages with that. I worked, I worked on other things, so I got wages. I got better at cowboys and Indians, but I didn't do so well on the test. So the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. Don't, don't be mad at God. heard about a parent that didn't tell me this personally. It's probably best that they didn't. I, I don't know how I would have handled it. I, I, I might have had the deer in the headlight look. I might have said something that would have been too obvious and, and would have been costly. But uh, we had a parent one time that, uh, <clears throat> that was very upset at God. And uh, she was upset because God let her daughter get addicted to drugs. <clears throat> well, that wasn't anything to be mad at God about, that was, she was just getting payment. You see, that payment was for all that her youth pastor was telling her and all of her pastor told her and all that her parents were telling her and all that was right was telling her to, to avoid drugs. And so she decided to do that anyway. So her payment was that she started going down a very bad road in her life. Well, that's the payment. She was getting paid for those choices. And so the wages, the payment for sin, is death. And it doesn't have to be this just eternal death, although that is what it's referring to. Anytime we neglect sin, every, not neglect sin, anytime we neglect the Word of God and we choose, everybody say choose, you don't fall into sin. You walk into it deliberately. We say fall because it's so easy. Sounds a little more passive when we say, well, we had a friend, he fell into sin. What, he just like stepped off the curb and boom, there it was. That's a very deliberate choice. He chose sin. She chose sin. For the wages of sin is death. And so we see this payment that the enemy has for all of us, these wages when we make poor choices. And again, these, these things that we choose are payment. But, and now we see the transition. Now we see the other side. We see what God's will is for us. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is something that is available to us for free, but we still have some choices to go apprehend it. To, to apprehend it. It would be like me having a ticket that's free. It's, it's, it's a free ticket to, 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 to fly to, to Hawaii and go see Steve's brother. And so I give you a, a ticket, and I say, now this is a free ticket, but at some point you have to grab it. At some point you have to take it to the t- ticket counter. It's free. I paid the price for it, but you have to apprehend it. And so this gift of God, this free gift of God is there and it's available. He's already paid the price on the cross, but we still do have to make a choice. We have to make a choice to repent. We have to choose to say, I'm going to turn away from my behaviors, not just I'm sorry I got caught or I'm sorry this is wrecking my life, but I'm sorry that that's a sin and I want to follow you. And so then we make a choice to repent. We make a choice to get baptized. We make a choice to receive the Holy Ghost. And so we choose that, and then God just freely gives that. Luke 6, 46. It's red letter in mine. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Jesus is baffled here. Really, you, you call me Lord, title, but you don't understand what that means. I would say this is most of America. Um, I, I promise you if Saturday Night Live was filmed in the United Emirates, if it was somewhere where there's a king, 
Saudi Arabia. I promise you Saturday Night Live would be totally different with how they treat people in leadership. You see, here, uh, we can make fun of the president. Uh, we can vote him out. Or, or at worst, he's going to be president for eight years and he's gone. And so they come and go. We criticize and we make fun of them, radio stations. Um, so so that's, that's what we do because we're independent. We don't understand kingdoms. We don't understand lordship. But if you really had a king, you would never walk into his palace or his court and say, I got a bone to pick with you. I have some issues about that last decree that you passed. We need to have a talk about this. You, you just don't do this. Now, please understand, I'm not making Jesus that kind of king. <clears throat> I'm just helping us to get the principle of lordship. Because when you step before the king and say, my Lord, you did whatever they asked. You didn't fuss, you didn't argue, you didn't debate, you didn't bargain. You said, as you wish, and you did it. The Lordship of Jesus Christ, and you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? I've been guilty of that but I don't ever want to live in a condition where I just live in a condition of being guilty of that. I've had the Lord tell me something before, and I've delayed. That's, just, that's still disobedience. <clears throat> I didn't do it right away. Lord, give me an impression, and I don't act on it. I don't act on it right away. I don't ever want to just live so casually that I'm okay with that, because if I do, then I really don't get the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If I can just be in total disregard for the impressions that he gives me and the word that he gives me, and I can totally just disregard that, then he's really not my Lord. And I would contend, is he really my Savior at that point? We have some examples of some plan B's in the Bible. <clears throat> um, David was a king, did a lot of great things. David and Goliath, great story. Um, powerful story, great leader, comes out of obscurity. Um, great man, great leader, just, just, he's got the favor of God on his life. And then he gets into a real comfortable place in his life. And where other, where other kings went out to battle, where other kings were fighting, David stayed home. I got plenty of soldiers. I got plenty of wealth. I got a castle here. Uh, there's no need, need for me to go out there and fight. I got other guys that can do that for me. And he gets lazy, and he, and he starts veering from the conviction of God. And then he sees Bathsheba. Without going into details, you know the story. Sees her out there bathing and, and, and wants her for himself, so he calls for and then they have uh, uh, some, some time of intimacy together, and lo and behold, she's pregnant. Sends her back to her cabin, back to her house. Nobody's going to know, but she's pregnant. So he sends for her husband to come in from battle, and they could you know get together, and he could have a weekend together and have some time together. And then when they have a baby later on, everybody will know that it was from his visit when he came in from battle and the sin would be concealed. The problem is this man was so righteous that when he came home, he slept on the porch and said, how can I go in and have enjoyment and time with my wife when my brothers are in battle? He refused to go in and be with his wife because my brothers are out there risking their lives. How could I just come home and enjoy time with my wife? Sleeps on the porch. Goes back to battle. David sends a word in and says, Send that guy to the front of the battle. Of course, he dies in battle. He gets sent right up to where, sent right up to where the danger is and 
because of that sin, David was supposed to build the temple. But because of that sin, he's not going to build that temple. He's going to gather the supplies, but Solomon's going to build that temple. We see the prophet Elijah does some awesome things. Prays and it doesn't rain for three years. He then prays and and fire comes down from heaven and and, and licks up an altar that had barrels upon barrels of water dumped on it. And it licks up not only the fire, the wood, the sacrifice, it licks up the rocks. There's nothing but dust left. It licks up the water. Takes the prophets of Baal and slaughters them, the prophets that are that belong to Jezebel. And, he, he, and Israel turns their heart back to, to God. And so all this big deal happens where all of a sudden, Jezebel gets word of it, and she says, I'm going to kill that guy. Very sad story. He goes on the run. He goes with his right-hand man, his kind of his armor-bearer kind of guy, and he goes with him, and they go into the wilderness. He then leaves that guy in this town and goes from the wilderness, and he goes into a cave. It's not God's will for this man to be on the run. It's not God's will for this guy to turn his back away from from the will of God. He had work still to be done. That was God's will. But here's Elijah, this great prophet of God, running for his life because of the word of a woman. Thinking he's done, thinking he's doomed, thinking he's over. He goes to the cave and here's what happens. And I'm going to give you a principle that's devastating, but it's still true. He goes into this cave. There's one thing, how many of you have ever heard of like having a wilderness experience? Well, there's one thing worse than the wilderness, and that's a cave. Because you go from a wilderness. Now, in the wilderness, there was an angel of the Lord that came to him and fed him. And that wasn't enough to let him know God is still with me. So he goes into a cave. He goes from a wilderness into a real dark spot. And the Lord himself shows up and says, Elijah. Why are you here? He goes into this speech. Nobody loves you, God. Everybody's against you. They're out to kill me. Everybody hates me. Well, wait a minute. The truth was there was a remnant of 8,000 people that never turned their back on God. Those that didn't turn their back on God turned their hearts back to God when he called fire down from heaven and Israel turned their hearts back to God. They were not trying to kill him. One woman said, I'm going to kill you. But in his mind, because he couldn't get out of his mind, he went through this whole story of why he's in this cave. So then there's a wind and God wasn't in the wind. Then there was a fire. God wasn't in the fire. Now, I may get these out of order, but these are things that happened. God wasn't in the fire. Then there was an earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. But then there was a still, small voice. Well, wait a minute. How could he speak to me if he wasn't in those things? I'm just trying to tell you something. God's not in your drama. He's with you in the drama. You see, a lot of drama that I have in my life and I have had, was either caused by the devil, other people, or was the fruit of seeds that I had planted before. God didn't cause those things. Either the devil did, I allowed somebody else to in my life, or I allowed those decisions, and I made those decisions And those storms and and earthquakes and things came and shook my life from my decisions. Here's the most devastating part of the story. God shows up the second time after all that in a still small voice. And here's what he says again. Elijah, 
Why are you here? When God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer and he's really hoping you can help him out. When he asks you a question because he wants you to know and wants you to figure out what's going on. And he goes back. Instead of saying, God, if you're asking me this the second time, I better think this through. I don't know why I'm here. Then get up and go do what you're supposed to do. But here's what he says. God, nobody loves you. Nobody's serving you. Everybody hates me. They're trying to kill me. If you'll read it, he says the exact same speech the second time. I'm going to give you something. You can believe this or not. I'm going to give you something that is a very hard truth that I had to see. There are some people that even God can't help. We already said we're big and bad enough to stop the will of God. That's true. We can stop the will of God. But we can also put ourselves in a position because of our disobedience that we keep saying the same things over and over and stay in the same patterns and will not get up. Look at your neighbor say, get up. This whole deal of, of God asking him, why are you here, was an extension of saying, why are you here? You don't need to be here. You're a powerful man of God. You have calling. You have purpose. You have destiny. There's a purpose for you. There's something you're supposed to do. I know, but, and then he goes through this whole speech, and even God says, okay, I cannot overcome your will. If you can't believe that I can restore you, if you can't believe that I can help you with all the scripture I've given you, if you don't think I've given you the power to follow my word, I can't help you. Your will is just that strong. Your will is just that powerful. And we've all done it at different levels, right? I will tell you, in 2016, I'm sitting in my office, and that whole story unfolded in front of my eyes, and I promise you here's what happened to me. I'm in my office after one of the darkest places of my entire ministry. I came walking in from lunch with another minister and as I walked through the door and I, we'd gone through a severe amount of heartbreak and loss. I walked through the door and I'm talking about just devastation. And for a moment I heard, I felt like the Lord say that you influenced a lot of lives. And before I could even enjoy that voice of the Lord, the one on the other shoulder said, and yeah, and all the ones you were closest to left. What kind of influence are you? It was crushing. I walked into my office and just happened to stumble across this part of the story. And I read this entire story, and I'm telling you, I don't get visions very often, but I do get a few. I read this story, and in my mind, this vivid movie played out, and I saw coming through a fog, I saw this old prophet of God, and I could just see the fog just there, and I could see in the distance, I saw him coming through, and I saw the sandals, I saw the robe, I saw the, the, the beard, I saw the matted hair, I saw this guy that had been in this cave, and I saw him coming through the fog. I promise you, when that, when that fog when he started to come through the fog, it was me about 60, 70 years old with wrinkles and lines and a weathered face and dirty and worn with time. And that prophet of God that I thought was Elijah coming through that fog was me coming through that fog. That vision was God showing me. You can, stay, you can spend some time in the cave, but you better not let the cave get inside of you. And I was that close. 
I was that close, Brother Steve. sky country, low population, take my family, and my cave was going to be some acreage and a split rail fence and a couple of horses. I was done. But when I came through that fog and realized how disobedient to my calling that would have been, and saw that if I'm coming through that fog, that means I'm coming out of the cave. So, God, I, I feel like I'm in that cave. I feel like I can't do anything right. I feel like this is my destiny. I feel like I can't do anything right. I started feeling that. When I came, when I saw myself coming through that cave, I realized that God's not going to deliver me from this. I have to give up. I have to make a decision. Though the righteous man falls seven times, he shall arise. And so I realize I have to get up. Shout, get up. And so I had to get up. And so from that point forward, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. The hurt didn't go away that quickly. I can't tell you that at that moment, my whole life changed. All I knew was from that moment on, every day I got up and did what I thought was right as a Christian, what I thought was right in Scripture, did what I thought was right as a, as a pastor, and I will say this, it wasn't until um, just a couple of years later that I realized a lot of things would be different for a lot of people if I went to Montana. And I realized that the enemy was trying to take me out. going to kind of wrap up here so <clears throat> did Moses do the will of God nope God's plan was that he would deliver them out of Israel or del deliver Israel out of Egypt that was the plan Supposed to only take him a few days to do that, but the people started murmuring, complaining, so that, that kind of changed God's will. They ended up spending 40 years in that desert. At one point, God tells Moses to smite the rock, so he does. He hits the rock, water comes out. They have enough water to quench the thirst of over a million people. Much later in the story, God says, speak to the rock, but you see Moses was a little frustrated. And he remembered how it worked before, so he took the rod and he hit the rock again. Totally messed up the plan of God. That whole deal was a foreshadowing that, 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 that he would come the first time, then he would be smitten, but he wouldn't be smitten the second time. The next time Jesus comes back, he's not going to be smitten. And so that whole thing was supposed to be a foreshadowing to show about how the first time that Jesus would be smitten, but the second time he wouldn't be, but, but Moses wrecked all that. You see, in a story where Moses was supposed to lead them into the promised land, but the end of his story is plan B. Moses, go walk up this hill because you're going to look over Jordan. You're going to see the promised land. You're going to see what these people are going to inhabit but you're never going to step foot inside of it because of your disobedience. He sees it, and then he just instructs him to go on and higher up the mountain because I'm going to take you to your fathers and take your life. You can look in Scripture after Scripture. You can look at Saul. You look at how Saul got ahead of not waiting on Samuel and going ahead and offering up sacrifice before waiting for the prophet of God to show up and kind of doing his own thing. You can see where he went to the witch of Endor and kind of sought, 
sought some things later on to see if he could have a meeting with the prophet Samuel. You see all kinds of dicey things that, 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 that Saul the king does that wasn't God's will. As I close, when, I, when that scripture was, came to me and, and was read to me when I was doing my morning time, the scripture we opened up with that every man did what was right in his own eyes, I wondered how many Christians are just kind of doing their own thing. Go to church, but don't really submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and follow his word. Just kind of a casual, yeah, I kind of follow-ish. As long as it's not too demanding, as long as it's not too extreme. I mean, I'm not going to be a Jesus freak or anything, but, you know, I think he's all right. We even sang a song about it years ago. What do you think about Jesus? He's all right. I think some of us believe in error that God's will is going to happen anyway. We'll snap out of it or God's will will turn around or, you know, I'll get to still walk in God's promise and destiny for my life. You see, your blessings are hinged on your obedience. God's help is contingent on your obedience to his word. God's plan for you may not happen because of your disobedience. <clears throat> Had a man talk to me one time and was um, pretty frustrated. He said, Pastor, I had a dream when I was 13 that I was preaching to thousands. And since you've been here, you know, you really haven't helped me move my ministry forward. I said, well, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not even preaching to thousands. Um, I said, but let me ask you a couple questions. <clears throat> I said, because you felt like you were preaching to thousands in your teenage years. I really didn't have my calling secured till I was in my 20s, my early 20s. I was about 21. I said, now, I will tell you this, that when I got my calling, every decision that I made from there forward, almost every decision was wrapped around that calling. The friendships that I made, the time I spent at the altar, uh, the one that I chose to marry, um, where I quit my career <clears throat> and went to Bible school and sold shoes and worked at restaurants, waiting tables to work my way through Bible college. All those decisions I made trying to walk worthy of my calling because I really wanted to grow. The books that I've read, the videos that I've watched, the conferences that I've attended, the people that I've surrounded myself with. I said, now, you have a great advantage because you knew at 13 so what decisions did you make to prepare yourself to preach to thousands? It got real quiet, and he got real offended. You see, the point is he was kind of feeling like I would set that up for him somehow. But the bottom line is my journey was a journey of trying to stay obedient and do the will of God. And if he felt like that was his calling, um, I do know a few that do preach to thousands, and you know one of them too, Jason Sisko, William Sisko. Can I tell you, I know the price those guys paid to preach to thousands. We all know the cool Jason Sisko. He wasn't always cool. He was made fun of. He was quirky. 
He was some goofy young teenager that only wanted to talk about God and spiritual things while all the other cool cats were playing ball. And he was a good ball player too. But everybody else wanted to do the cool things, but he was the quirky kid. I had a guy tell me at Bible school, Mom, I don't know if I ever told you this. I had a guy about my second week in Bible school in Stockton, California, asked me where I went to church. I told him, uh, Brother Cisco's church. He said, is Jason Cisco his son? I said, yeah. He said, he's really weird. I never did like him. I just settled in for just a second. And then I had my moment. I said, Look, if you have anything negative to say about Jason Cisco, you're probably talking to the wrong guy. Because that kid, when he was quirky and young, younger than I was, I was already a youth pastor in this church, and he came to preach for us. I picked him up at the air, airport and almost got a hernia picking up his suitcase with his books in it. We didn't have laptops back then. So I grabbed his suit bag, and I went to grab his books. It had to be 80 pounds. <coughs> and can I tell you that every one of those books were spread out in my dining room table when I would get up in the morning. Strong's Concordance, Unger's Bible Dictionary, different translations of the Bible spread all over. That guy was in my house praying while I had to get up and be at work at 6 a.m., he was up praying all night, and I would hear him in the morning when I'm getting up for work, getting ready to go to bed, with books spread everywhere. He was up praying all night. You see, there's a, if you want to preach to thousands, there's some obedience that has to happen. He didn't get where he is because his daddy was Bill Cisco. It might have opened a door or two for him to go there the first time, but you don't get invited back unless you deliver it. So here I have a guy telling me that I had a dream I was preaching to thousands and you haven't helped that happen. And I told him that I said, well, I know some guys that preach to thousands and I know the price that they had to pay to get there. And obviously I haven't paid that kind of price to, pay to preach to thousands. So I would say if you felt like that was your calling, then, then there's some things that you should have done to get there. But like a lot of us, sometimes we think that it's just going to happen. Someone else may be lost because you were in a backslidden condition the whole time you worked with them. What if somebody came into your life in a window of time where you were struggling? And while you were busy struggling with your own stuff, they came into your life and went out of your life before you snapped out of it. Is it possible that that person may face eternity when you could have been the one that in that window of time they were introduced to somebody that had the truth but you or I was, were not in a position to be able to deliver that. I think it's worth consideration. Your relationships, your calling, your ministry, your financial blessing, your health may all be dependent on your obedience and your faithfulness to God. I end with this. Because somebody's going to feel right now like, well, I've blown it, Pastor. I'm, I'm, I've already blown plan A, so... I might as well give up. No, don't give up. Here's why. If you're on plan B, you've already messed up plan A. I've probably messed up plan A. Okay, so you're not alone. But if you're on plan B, don't give up because plan B is better than plan C. And plan C is better than D. Plan S is better than plan T. Wherever you are, start now and be obedient because there's still a plan. Again, David did gather the materials and made it a whole lot easier for Solomon. If Solomon would have had to start, if David would have said, well, I'm not building the temple, I'm out. I've failed God, I'm out. If he would have done that, it would have been a whole lot harder for Solomon. Any of these people that failed, that, that if Moses would have said, well, I'm not going to enter the promised land, I'm out. If he would have done that, then he, then he would not have been able to lead them up to the, to the edge of Jordan. And he would have, who knows where they would have been and how much work it would have been to get them to their promised land. So wherever you are, 
I'm still trying to give you hope that we cannot be in this position where it doesn't matter. But if we have messed up and we're not in God's perfect plan, let's start today and pick up and say, okay, I'm getting up. I'm coming out of the fog. I'm coming out of the cave. I'm not letting the cave stay in me. I am going to move forward, and I am going to change this. Don't ever give up and say, well, I've already messed up. I might as well quit. So here's your action. Stay in God's will. If you know what it is, stay in it. If it's the rhema word, if he's speaking to your heart to, to get something right right now, do it. Have him be your Lord and submit and do it. If you see it in the word, follow the word. If you feel that he's given you a rhema word, then follow that rhema word. So stay in God's will. His plan is always best. It's always better than my plan. And his A plan or whatever his plan is is always better than mine. And then just continue to walk in his word. Continue to walk in truth. And don't ever think that it's just okay. I'm not really where I need to be right now. Do you realize what you're saying when you say that? Had somebody tell me one time, um, I was talking to them about some scripture, and they said, um, oh, I know it's in there. Because I, I didn't think they knew it because they weren't living it. And they said, oh, I, I know it's in there. I just have, I just have trouble following it. Yeah, they said, I just struggle with it. And I thought, and I said, well, and I don't know if I said it or I just thought it really loud. But I said, well, obviously you're not struggling with it because you're doing it. You're, you're doing something that's contrary to what it says, so really it's not a struggle. If you were struggling, it would be like people that say, I'm doing it because it's right, but it's a struggle. Well, if you're not following it, you're really not struggling. You're just giving into your flesh. And I feel the Lord here right now. Can we just take a moment right now and just ask for the Lordship of Jesus Christ to give us a visitation right now. God, I believe that you're taking this church into some new territories. I believe you're taking us into some new dimensions. God, and we're going to find it in the trail. We're going to find it in the road of obedience, Lord, as we follow after you. Hallelujah, Lord, that we will follow your plan A, God, for ourselves, that that if we follow your plan, Lord, that it will, it will affect our lives. It will affect our neighbors. It will affect our friends. It will affect this church. It will affect every guest that walks into this place. If we're walking in obedience and favor with you, Lord, that your anointing will be resident inside of us, Lord, to lead us and to guide us. Hallelujah, Lord. You're a good God. I pray that you lead us with your word. God, and that we would have be courageous enough to submit ourselves to your word and to the lordship of Jesus Christ, that we follow after you and come out of the cave, Lord, and do not let the cave get inside of us. Lord, that we will walk with purpose and destiny and will not subject ourselves, Lord, to, to anything less than your will, that we will fight our way out of this, Lord, and submit ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. I open up for any comments or questions. Comments. Anybody want to weigh in on what we've talked about tonight? Amen. Thank you, thank you. Brother Parsley.
us stand. I know we say this phrase, this expression a lot, um, but it shouldn't really give us too much latitude. We say this, well, nobody's perfect. I, I get that, right? I know that's true. We're not. But I really don't want to be casual with areas that if I feel like I'm disobedient to his word, that I give myself any slack on that. Um, I want to be anointed. And I, I, I want to hear him say, well done, and know that he's going to measure me based on what he was willing to help me with. But some of that stuff I had to do myself. He's not going to save me from every temptation. He's going to provide a way of temptation. He's going to provide a way of escape with every temptation that comes to me. He's going to give me power, and that same grace and power is to help me to overcome. Not that he makes it easy and just takes every desire away from me. He's going to make a way for me to fight my way out of that. I plan on going into heaven with cuts and scars and bruises and battle wounds and wraps around my knees and and, and, and it'll be spotless. I plan to be right and pure, but I, I plan on being nicked up. I've been in a battle. I'm going to fight for my life, fight for the life of others and win this battle. Jesus, we love you, Lord. 